Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to Check the Kick podcast. It is found on the SureDog Network, SureDog.com. I am the host of the show, Devin, and we seem to have quite a lot to talk about coming off of this weekend's fights. The UFC Noche, Grasso versus Shevchenko, that fight ends in a draw. Um, Bunch of pretty cool but pretty weird scorecards and stuff submitted, some really nice performances, some returning fighters coming back and getting big wins, Um, some returning fighters coming back and losing pretty badly either way an all around pretty fun night of fights last week and we have some pretty good ones to look forward to on that fizzy have a gamrot card coming up really quick sip of water sorry so early into the show um i hope all of you guys had a cool week had a pretty fun interesting week um worked was able to go catch some fish and watch some fights and now i'm here with you guys um Kick it off. We will start with the fight that ended in a draw. Grasso retaining her title against Valentina Shevchenko in a split draw. One judge had it 48-47. The other had it 47-48. And then we had uh, good old Mike Bell scoring that fight a 47-47, giving Alexa Grasso a 10-8 round in the fifth round. Yeah. Um, that's not good. Not good at all. And I could see th- there's there's arguments to score this fight either way. You, you could have it any way you you, wa- you wanted. Um, we'll get into the technicalities here here in a moment, but. I was not doing the live scoring. I, I want to have an idea of who won the round. Obviously, at the round ends, I'm like, oh, Shevchenko won, Grasso won, whatever. But first off, this commentary for this fight, sometimes I listen to it with the commentary, sometimes I don't. But the commentary for this fight was just bad. Like, DC is rambling on about Grasso's jab, but Shevchenko, with her jab out of the southpaw and landing clean one-twos, they were hyping up Grasso's jab, and I'm like, Grasso's kind of getting jabbed up. Fifth round, that the round in question, Shevchenko won the first three minutes and, what, 15 seconds, three minutes and 30 seconds of that round, where she's just kind of lacing Grasso up with her jab over and over and over again. And then she goes for that weird headlock, hip throw, and gets completely reversed, and Grasso on your back is clearly deadly. Diego Lopes is clearly a very good BJJ coach. Um we're going to talk about Lupi Godinez here in a little bit, but what he what he's been able to do with Grasso and Lupi has been, you know, um, pretty fucking awesome. Grasso was able to take the back land. I could see that being a 10-8 round if, like, 15 seconds left, Grasso has a choke sunk in, and it's like, if there's 30 seconds, Valentina goes to sleep. But it wasn't like that. So I just think that, that, was, that was a bad score just a bad card if you again i'm not here to fight with anyone or or die on a hill of who i thought won that fight i thought it was a great fight um i thought the fight the boxing dynamic kind of switched in this fight uh obviously grosso was able to um draw valentina in the second round with a really nice kind of check right hook kind of catching shevchenko complacent in the pocket a bit uh 
and literally causing her to do a complete backflip rollover. Shevchenko was back with it, got the takedown, and then got like another three minutes of control time after that with a little bit of punishment. Um, one of the rounds, Shevchenko got in a very deep mounted guillotine. This fight definitely had ebbs and flows. Shevchenko came out, won the second, won the first round, clear. Grasso came out, won the second round, clear. That's the round that she hurt Shevchenko. Um, Shevchenko came out in the southpaw, and Grasso came out orthodox in this fight, which is a little bit interesting because she had so much success out of um, southpaw last go around, Grasso, that is. Uh, and, and Shevchenko's jab looked fine. I just thought she, again, maybe got too complacent or just was too confident. You just don't want to be hanging out in the pocket with Grasso going blow for blow. Both of these women definitely ha had their had their moments. I thought it was one of those situations where uh, Shevchenko was winning larger portions of the fight, but Grasso was definitely taking advantages in moments. I really like that Grasso's game has just become like a she's kind of like a it's it's almost like a figueredo type of game or like a weird yo romero type game definitely with different but as far as um working in bursts with damage or even like a cheeto type game where you know if you if you leave the door open just this much in front of grasso like she grabs that shit and you know she kicks the door right open she's damaging her boxing is is great she loves to do damage on the on the feet her grappling like she is looking to finish she's looking to hurt you she's a very damaging uh fighter and it's really cool to see someone with a game like that at 125 and she's very technical sorry i dropped my chair um she's very technical as well shevchenko it seems like she's 35 for someone like Shevchenko to make the mistakes, Grasso is really crafty and slick in the pocket. I'm not gonna that right hook that she landed out of the she she, she switched back to southpaw had a ton of just a, a lot more success once she went back to southpaw Alexa Grasso and that's where she was able to hurt Shevchenko with that right hook, causing her to kind of spin back. So I'm not gonna call that a mistake, but like what Shevchenko did in the fifth round that might have worked against like Caitlin Chukagian or Lauren Murphy but you can tell this division is definitely has caught up to Shevchenko and is is I mean Aaron Blanchfield might beat both of these girls Manon Fioro might beat both of the I, I think Manon Fioro would have a tougher time um just because she's kind of a nuts you know what? I'd pick, I'd probably pick all three of them to beat Manon Fioro. But Manon Fioro is is you know to me right right there with them. Um, Tala Santos could easily fuck around and you know have good fights with them too. So just those four women alone, like that head and arm, that like headlock, hip throw that she went for, where she kind of just threw Grasso right on her back. You can't do that to Aaron Blanchfield. If Aaron Blanchfield gets your back. She finishes the fight in that moment. Tyler Santos, look that look what Tyler Santos was able to do with control with control um, on Valentina and and Grasso. Like that's how Grasso finished her too. I think at 35 years old, her athleticism might have just come down a tick. Her durability definitely. I mean, this is the number one. This is the best fight that Shevchenko's been in, 
And if you never thought she could be a dog, like she, she I mean, both of these women just a true fighting spirit, the heart of a fighter for both of these women. But I just like girls like Karini Silva that are just within the top 15, I believe Karini Silva might be like the 14th or 15th um, ranked women's flyweight in the, um, at least for the UFC. I don't know about the sure dog rankings. Like Karini Silva could go out and then give any of these girls fits. These girls were just like Natali Silva, Aaron Blanchfield, Casey O'Neill. Like these types of women were not around when, or were just, or even Macy Barber. Look, 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 look at Macy Barber now. These type of women weren't around when Shevchenko was head kicking Jessica I, or you know having those fights with Laura Murphy. Like that's just the old guard. And it has seemed to really like women's 115. It just fucking shot up and went on a, you know, a very upward trajectory. And has, and I mean, MMA is just such a fickle bitch where the game just rips by so fast. We just saw last weekend with Israel Adesanya. Everybody thought that he was just as good as Anderson Silva, whatever. I would have always disagreed with that. Silva, I thought is night is definitely the best middleweight we've ever had. And last weekend kind of supported that. But we have these champions that we see as kind of untouchable. They go on these long runs, all these title defenses. And then now, like, the, once a division catches you, if you are not young enough to be able to learn new skills and change your game, not every one of these divisions is men's heavyweight. You could be someone like Volkov and have, like, 50 fights at heavyweight and start to improve and change your game. But... Not at women's 125. Like Shevchenko's 35. She lost the first fight. Okay, she went back. You could tell Shevchenko trained her ass off for this and then came back and fought to a draw. And honestly, if the scorecard, if that if that round was scored the correct way by Mike Bell, Valentina Shevchenko would be the winner. And maybe, you know, she said in the post fight in the interview how the Mexican crowd was there to cheer her on and maybe that sw swayed it. Either way, like... Four years ago, if you told me that Grouso would be the the thorn in Shevchenko's heel, I would have been like, nah, but maybe after what we saw with Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes. Uh, this is great for, for women's MMA, a fight like this. this. The fight was just awesome. The back and forth, Shevchenko's jab was flying. Her crosses were landing. Once Grosso switched back to Southpaw, she started having tons of success. She was able to slam Shevchenko down, take her back in moments of this fight. Had there was that one moment where was it in this in the fourth round where she's she stuffed the Shevchenko takedown and then was kind of just holding her up and, and almost like a just kind of had her kind of had her arm under like if she if she were jumping guillotine but not and just kind of hoisting her up in the clinch just kneeing her in the head Shevchenko had one hand on the ground she was trying to you know play the game thought that one hand to the ground meant she was a grounded opponent not in Vegas <laughs> and then got, started getting kneed to the body a ton like the fight just was was really really fun and unfortunately it's tarnished by um 
the decision. I've only watched it once. I watched it on the night of the fight. I have not had a chance to rewatch. I will rewatch it later this week, and maybe my opinion will change a little bit. Um, so unfortunately, I'm only coming to you guys with one watch. Sometimes I will, depending on when my availability is for recording, sometimes I'll get two, three watches in. Sometimes I only get one. Um, super, super fun fight. I love the the belt that they made for Grosso, too. Uh, so really cool. I'm drinking water. I'm spilling water. Uh, we're going to talk about the future of women's 125 in the middle segment of the show. What's hot. So I'll, I'll leave the matchmaking till then. I just hope for the division and for Grosso. I don't think that new champions should have to beat the champ twice unless there's some sort of asterisk on it. And she's beat Shevchenko once. She got a draw on the second time. The only thing that's going to be in Shevchenko's favor is the Aaron Blanchfield and Mount Furo most recent fights. They're clearly the, the, the number one and number two contender, however you see them. Uh, but their fights were not barn burners. So that's kind of favorable for uh, Shevchenko. So Shevchenko might be able to have a third fight, but I just hope this doesn't become like Brandon Moreno and Davidson Figueroa 2.0 where these, what is up with 125 men and women like super talented, but they just recycling all these fucking title fights let the division move on i'm glad pantoja is the champ there i'm glad grasso is the champ there really really cool fight you guys should should tune back into it the crowd was just thumping even though they were in vegas you could have swore they were in mexico city it was really really cool moving on to the next fight i'm going to talk about with you guys we're gonna skip the kevin holland jack della madalena fight Number one, because I am a little bit butthurt that I picked Kevin Holland in my fantasy draft, and I'm starting off with a loss. Um, I might be, out of us four, I think I might be in last place on the fantasy draft, the MMA fantasy draft. Thank you, Kevin Holland. And the fight was kind of um, not the best, and I think both guys could have done more, and I think the people that I really want to talk about had, like, star-making performances, and that's Roman Kopilov. Roman Kopilov, this fight got made in, in a really weird way where Chris Curtis and Fluffy Hernandez both ended up having to pull out, and then this fight kind of got made with the guys that they were replacing them. Kopilov beat the shit out of Josh Fremd. Poor Josh Fremd. The dude has had a lot of tough matchmaking in the UFC. Uh Kopilov is potentially going to face problems when he gets matched up with these bigger middleweights. He's a six foot middleweight with a 75 inch reach, but he has become a blisteringly fast, dangerous dude with just, I mean, his hand speed is he might have the fastest hands at middleweight. Um, his kicks, like his body kick He's really good at setting up finishing sequences like the way he finished Fremd. He body kicked him twice. The second body kick he landed, he saw Fremd really react to it and drop the elbow. So then he goes, okay, well, I'm just going to go in there and body punch him. Two body kicks and a body punch finished Fremd here. Fremd is beyond tough. He got hit with so many clean shots. Um, Kopilov's kicks and hand speed again were just 
just on fire. Um, Frem did have a little more success in this fight than the commentary kind of would have made you think, for lack of better terms, I guess you could say. Frem definitely did land some nice jabs. There was one moment uh, beginning of the second round where Kabilov is kind of exiting out and Frem hits him with like a leaping hook and causes him to reset. Kabilov's blitzes, though, man. Like he's like a... He kind of has a similar blitzing style to like Jan Blahovich to where he is... If you shell against the cage in front of Kabilov, he's going to blitz and throw like a three-punch combination. The second you shell in front of him against the cage if you're not circling out like shout out to frem for for having the mindfulness to you know retreat to the cage get maybe hit with two or three shots and just circle out and not stay there because if you shell up in front of Kopilov against the cage he is going to rain a hellfire of all different types of combinations he punches to the body he throws straight he'll throw looping shots around the guard and his hand speed is just so fast he's so effing dangerous there uh Frem is huge too. Frem's like 6'4. He does have a short reach. I think it was only like a 76-inch reach. But the the size discrepancy, Kopilov was definitely able to enter the pocket, get in. I mean, Kopilov could throw three or four strike combinations in the same speed that Frem could throw a jab. Like that's how stark it was like three to one every time that they were in a striking exchange. Kopilov looked really, really good. I think they need to give him a someone that's him and Michelle Ozechuk would be a fucking awesome fight. Him and Michelle Ozechuk, I think, or him and the Iron Turtle, or even him like Andre Muniz. Andre Muniz hasn't been looking too great lately. I don't know what happened to that dude, but maybe him and someone like Muniz. This second round finish, Kopilov is is he's on a roll now. He really truly is. He's he's out there just finishing guys. He had a little bit of trouble when he got into the UFC, but now he's 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 streaking. He switched his training camp. He is now in Dagestan full time, uh, and he's on a four fight a four fight win streak against good opponents. All of them have been finished. It all started with Alessio DiCirico, which is, you know, Alessio DiCirico did knock out Joaquin Buckley with a head, head kick, but the finish against Punale Soriano was was definitely awesome for Kopilov. The Claudio Habero head kick knockout, that one like shook the world in that moment. That's a viral clip forever. And then this knockout win against Fremd, both awesome. He started in the UFC, two losses, got choked out by Carl Roberson in 2019, and then he lost to Albert Duraev. And, like, Kopilov is better than those dudes today. He, he's he's definitely turned his turned things around. He's only got two losses, and those are his first two fights in the UFC. He's a hand-to-hand combat world champion. I, everybody's... Can someone tell me what that means? It's not Sambo. I think it's, like, what they train their military with over there. Um, but either way, he's a... A world champion in hand-to-hand combat, but they only train it in Russia. Either way, he has prior combat sports history. He looked great. He he just looked great. He he's streaking. Give him someone in the, you know, between the twentieth and fourteenth ranking. I I'd love to see it, and we're all we're all here for it. Shout out to Kopilov. He looked great. Moving on to. Potentially the most impressive performance on the card. 
Loopy Godinas, she was a big favorite, but she just went and shit kicked Elise Reed. Elise Reed is is a girl that people may think that she's she's meddling and, and she's not that that great. But Elise Reed is is a decent UFC talent. And what Loopy was able to do to her, that's that second round submission. It just seemed like it seemed like the wheels were falling off of Elise Reed with every single combination. Loopy's left hook was firing. She dropped Elise Reed twice in this fight. Just she's been down in Lobo Gym down in Mexico training here. Her hands, Loopy's such a weird fighter. Like either she's having fights like this where she is literally just drubbing people or she's just having like fights where someone defends one or two takedowns from her and then she has a close tip for that fight like Angela Hill or something like that. Uh, but here, this fight, this was not the case. Loopy looked like a top five talent here. She's on the shorter side, but she's super athletic, super strong. Her wrestling looked incredible. Her submission game, she had not a submission win. This is only the second submission win in her in her career. And she... I mean, the arm bars in the first round, I don't even know how. I don't know how Elise Reed survived the first round, to be honest with you. Her, the other submission one she had was in 2019. I just decided to look it up really quick in 2019. And that was like her second pro fight. So, no, sorry. She had another one. She got one against uh, Savannah Gomez Juarez, which is big puncher but not ufc caliber uh that was back in 2021 either way um those arm bars that she got that she had at least read in like three different arm bar transitions i think in the first round she was credited with five submission attempts uh, i think six is the mo- is the record for women's 115 her boxing looks great and Elise reed is someone that has sneaky power like at least reed has fast hands and can can crack pretty well and she had nothing for loopy the takedowns from Loopy were just like Michael Chandler style, like short, stocky, fast, explosive. Loopy has a, a multiple takedowns she can go to. She looked so good. This fight was so one-sided. Her grappling was on point. Her ground and pound is always on point. Um, but the boxing, I was just kind of surprised. I thought Elise Reed was going to be able to give her some fits in the stand-up. Her going down there to Mexico and training, and I, I know she's Mexican and she she I believe she's a Canadian resident, but Lupi Godinez is she's young. She continues to do this. She's gonna be a problem in this division. I would love to see her kind of uh she's had those those chances at those higher level opponents, someone like uh Angela Hill, all those women. Kind of curious to see what the UFC does with her. I think her, I know Michelle Waterson's got a fight coming up. Um, she's she's fighting, she's actually fighting um, Marina Rodriguez. I'd like Loopy against really either one of those, like, I don't like to match people off of losses, but like if Michelle Waterson or Marina Rodriguez lose that fight, I think giving Loopy a name like that would be good for her. And let's see if she can have that game. 
um, push this wrestling game on some her and like Michelle Waterson would be a great, I think would be a great match. Um, she got 50 K everyone that everyone that finished a fight on this card got 50 K um, poor Alex Reyes kind of stomped out. That was a, a pretty tough one to watch. Uh, some strange officiating with the Nelson Padilla, Chris Tagnoni calling that, that standing Anaconda choke that Chiras had Lacerda in was really strange. At least they got the ruling right, but that sucks for Lacerda, but at least it probably gets Lacerda one more fight in the UFC. Um, it kind of sucks for both guys because that's just taking a training camp, fucking balling it up and just throwing it in the trash. Like it just becomes a waste of time. So that's just that's just unfortunate. Uh UFC UFC Noche was was pretty cool. I like what they did. They kind of stuck it to Canelo and they stuck it to boxing. And I'm kind of okay whenever we get to do that. There was a, a just Decent fights on the card. Tracy Cortez is back. The fight with Jasmine Jazdavicius was uh, pretty interesting and funny. Uh, Josephine Knutson destroyed Marnik Marnik Man. I just talked about Alex Reyes. Charlie Campbell crushed him. Poor guy. He's ugh, that tough to watch. And and uh, Raul Rosas <laughs> knocked out Terrence Mitchell in the first round. Kind of sent him flying back like uh, Shevchenko did. And Daniel Zellhuber got a nice submission win over Christos Yagos after getting uh, nearly finished in the first round and, and coming back. So it was pretty fun. A lot of the fights ended up getting scrambled around and moved. This card should have been better than it was, but it was pretty decent um, either way. Moving on to the second segment of the show, what's hot? We, we really just got to address the status and the place that the women's flyweight is in right now. Pretty insane, pretty insane weekend with the way that the fight was scored, the way that the we've had a lot of big fights coming up in this division. And there's just a lot of interesting stuff to really talk about, some stones that have been left unturned. With this with this draw, I am just very curious to see what the UFC plans on doing next. Like Man on Fiero got moved up one spot in the UFC rankings for a win over Rose Namajunas where she lost the third round against a one-handed fighter. Uh, Macy Barber just got some shoulder surgery. Jessica Andrade is still ranked six in the division per the UFC rankings. That's really weird. Um, Carlos Santos lost a pretty close fight with Aaron Blanchfield. Those are the challengers there. I think as far as the UFC and what they plan to do moving forward. I think they're going to take some time off and I would not be surprised to see if they match someone like Macy Barber on her return against Shevchenko, if they don't do the rematch, just because I think that that would be a good way to, you know, someone like Macy Barber gets a win over Shevchenko. She becomes an immediate title challenger. The UFC also seems to really love Tracy Cortez and I'd be very curious to see what they what they do with her. Women's straw weight, sorry, women's flyweight has gotten so much better. Like I will read these are the UFC rankings. Number one is Valentina Shevchenko. Obviously, I have the Champus Grasso. Number two is Aaron Blanchfield. Number number two also tied for two, so there's no number three is Manon Fiero. 
Number four is Tyler Santos, five, Caitlin Chikagian, six, Andrade. I don't really agree with those. Laura Murphy, I don't know if she's fighting again. Macy Barber's ranked number eight. Jennifer Maya, number nine. Viviani Araujo, number 10. Amanda Hibas, 11. Casey O'Neill, 12. These three girls, especially two of them, I believe, are the future of this division. Natalie Silva is ranked number 13. Tracy Cortez, 14. Karini Silva, 15. Karini Silva might, I mean, I believe Karini Silva could beat Caitlin Chikagian, Jessica Andrade, and Tyler Santos, and Lauren Murphy in her next fight if they matched her up with any of those women. Um, this division is just catching up, catching up to Shevchenko and has done it. And I would love to know the rankings and I could look it up, but I'm not going to, you guys can totally do it. Find the rankings. Like who was, what, what did the women's top 15 at 125 look like when Valentina was head kicking Jessica? I just a, a great division. This division has kind of been built up and was kind of built for Shevchenko and Shevchenko at 35 years old. I am just very curious to see what the future has for, for everyone here. I think the proper matchmaking moving forward would probably to do a third fight with them, unfortunately, just because the Aaron Blanchfield and Manon Firo fights were not the best. I do believe if they don't do a rematch, Aaron Blanchfield's going to be the most um, UFC is not a merit meritocracy, but based out of merit, I think having a win over Tyler Santos, someone that gave Valentina tons and tons of trouble Um is definitely better than a win over Rose Damiunas, someone that has moved up a division that was coming off a loss already and was a one-handed fighter and beat you in the third round. Yes, it Rose Damiunas is a great fighter, but at 125, Tala Santos is probably better than Rose and is definitely a proven commodity. I would be very curious to see what a Blanchfield versus Grosso or Shevchenko fight would look like. Maybe they match Blanchfield and Shevchenko, like a fight night main event here in four months. Start of the new year. That would be possibly pretty interesting. If Manon Firo or Aaron Blanchfield, one of these girls gets injured in training camp or something, the other one is going to be completely removed from the equation. Manon Firo is definitely older on the older side. And Aaron Blanchfield's like 24 or something or 25. She's super young. So she's going to be around here for probably the next three or four years. She's this young up this top. I mean, and she's only getting better. Might be my favorite women's division right now. Especially with like Macy Barber, um, Hebos, Natali Silva, and Karini Silva. Like, so yeah, this might be better than 115. Women's 125. Casey O'Neill. This division's just just awesome. Uh, tell me what you guys think the UFC should do with this division and throw some matches at me. I'm curious to see what you guys think that they should do with the title and the title matchups and these title challengers. And it's it's stacked. This division is stacked, and I'm happy to say it. I did see last night, this is going to give me an opportunity to talk about this because I do think it's funny. Um, I did see last night the NBA player James Johnson um, in a podcast stated that he he could uh, beat John Jones in a fight. And we just got to stop this stuff, this Bradley Martin, people saying they can beat up MMA fighters. Um, yeah, boxers can beat MMA fighters in boxing. 
but in a fight, um, no one on the planet's going to beat an MMA fighter, and maybe not even if you have a hammer. Uh, James Johnson would... Eh, I hate that I'm saying this, but in a fight, every single top 15 fighter from men's featherweight through every weight class would beat James Johnson in a fight. Volkanovski is like five foot six and fights at 145 pounds. And he would leg kick this dude to bits. Um, yeah, no, it's just, it's annoying. It's tacky. It's cringy when these professional athletes from other sports get on these big shows and say they can beat guys like John Jones in a fight. Uh, it's disrespectful to MMA. Not many dudes on this planet would have a chance in beating John Jones in a fight, and they might not. Yeah, so, I mean, John Jones is literally about to fight Stipe Miocic, and this dude's thinking... And the contenders behind them are like Sergei Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall and Cyril Gaon and Delton Almeida. I can't think about that. And this guy thinks he's going to beat John Jones in a fight. Like, no, nah, dude, not even those guys. <laughs> those guys might not even beat John Jones in a fight. Uh, just thought it was funny. Let's get into actual like real fights and real things that are going to happen. Uh, pretty good UFC card coming up this weekend. Uh, some pretty dope stuff. Like the card itself, it, it's pretty cool. Um, Tim Means is finally back, and Andre Fialu is getting another shot. Uh, Dan Argueta is coming back off a, off a weird fight that kind of ended in a weird way. Uh, Marina Rodriguez is fighting Michelle Waterson. Michelle Waterson's on like a three fight losing streak. Mohamed Usman is is back. Jacob Malkoon is back. He's a guy that's that's um pretty good a fight that i'm not gonna break down but i, I this is gonna end up being fight of the night and i'm gonna hate myself for it um ricardo hamos is back after a pretty long hiatus and he's fighting a super fun action fighter in uh charles jordan charles jordan is the man uh he, he he is great the first fight i'm gonna talk to you guys about brian battle versus aj fletcher Odds on the fight, uh, and I did pull these on, on Sunday evening, so they, this is subject to change, just like any odds always would be. Uh, Ryan Battles, minus 170 favorite. AJ Fletcher's coming back at plus 145. And I try to, I'll look at the card, write up my notes, you know, do all the things. And in my head, I'll, I'll try to pick, uh, like, right away who I think is going to win, and then I'll try to convince myself, you know, that I'm right or I'm wrong. And this fight right away, I just thought, man, Brian Battle is going to be a pretty big favorite. And, man, if he didn't have that that loss before his amazing win against Gabe Green, that amazing, like, seven-second knockout, if he didn't have that loss, he, the odds might be even even bigger. Uh, Hinoff Fakhardinov is also an absolute beast so no shame on on losing to a guy like him look what he did to kevin lee uh prior to that he head kicked takashi sato the win against treshawn gore that's up a weight class gilbert arena also up a weight class he was the winner of the ultimate fighter i was really impressed by um brian battle's game on the ultimate fighter just as kind of being like a i don't want to call him frumpy but like 
definitely not the most athletic guy there. Definitely not the biggest guy there. Clearly, this fight's down a weight class at Walter Weight. Clearly, Walter Weight's his natural weight class. But, I mean, the dude ninja choked Andre Petrovsky. I'm like, Andre Petrovsky is pretty freaking good, and he's huge. Um, and then before that, his first one was uh, Kevin Lakhanov. Like, he's got good wins. He's a good fighter. Um, on to AJ Fletcher. Really quick, if you guys go to his, go to SureDog.com, um, like, I'll, I'll just show you guys. Let's see. This dude's huge. He's giant. Um, I'm not going to say he's huge or giant because that's actually incorrect, but he is bulky as all hell. He's a very short guy. I believe he actually has the shortest reach in welterweight. He's got extremely short reach. He's a big-time powerhouse, obviously. His his loss to Matthew Summelsberger is not a bad loss. Um, his loss to Angelus is not a bad loss. Those aren't bad losses, but they're not great losses either uh a win again a win against themba garimbo who went on to get a house purchased to him by the rock so apparently if you lose to aj fletcher and you know yeah themba has a good story i'm kind of talking crap um what aj fletcher is good at he, he's good in the pocket typical oh, typical wrestle boxing big overhands um he really needs to get into the pocket pocket because he cannot fight from the outside um and he's just a really explosive wrestler, Michael Chandler type dude. He's a kind of guy that, you know, instead of chaining things together, he'll get high amplitude, just high amplitude takedowns. He loves to just use these blast doubles and just horsepower through people. Uh, his problems are he's just those two losses, his first two fights in the UFC. Yeah, he had an amazing flying knee knockout on the contender series in the first round. That was awesome. And you kind of expect him to do that to someone in the contender series, but that's a Matthew Summelsberger. Like, Summelsberger had a lot of success on the feet with him, especially late into the fight. And Brian Battles, you know, the when I when he was first on my radar coming through the Ultimate Fighter, he was much more of just like a hang around tough dude that can hang around in a fight. And then once you're tired, slap on a, a, an opportunistic submission. He was definitely more of just like a hang around BJJ guy that's just durable and, and can take what you got to give him and will stick around to get a good choke. Now he's kind of retooled his game. He's retooled his body. If you go to his Instagram page, if you saw this dude on the ultimate fighter and you see him today, like he's always posting pictures. He looks absolutely shredded. Um, he's able to fight full time now in his hands. Like he was never known to be this type of powerhouse dude, but he dropped the weight class and, not not many people not many people for him it's it makes sense because he's always been a welterweight but not many people will go down a weight class to strike with people and he's kind of just become this like super dangerous opportunistic but also like volume heavy with some decent power type of striker like the head kick against sato that buried him his last time out he knocked out gabe green who's a dude that's super durable and gabe green is just like a mma veteran og type dude uh yeah i think brian battle getting out wrestled by you know cannot fucker dinov aj fletcher just aj fletcher is gonna get inside onto his hips because brian battle as much as the striking has come along, I don't think he's a type of guy that will be able to time like a jump knee or an uppercut. You know how like what Derek Lewis did to Curtis Blades. I don't know if he has that in his arsenal, but he seems like a guy that's improving. And I, I bet you he's that's something that they're looking for him and his team. Uh, 
Brian Battle just was able to hang out and sub Andre Petrovsky. And AJ Fletcher's game is similar to Petrovsky's, but just like not as good. And he's way smaller. He's definitely faster than Petrovsky, but I don't think that he's any more of a wrestler. And he just doesn't have a good gas tank. Um, I could see Brian Battle, you know, thugging out a first round having a second round where he's still getting taken down, but then maybe wins the last half of it. And then I could see AJ Fletcher just being gassed and getting sparked in the third. Um, I'm going to go Ryan battle by decision. However, I think that's how he wins this one here. Bumping up past the Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Watterson fight. We're going to get to a fight that should be a lot better than that one. Um, I, both of those women are in need of a win. And I don't think that that fight is nearly as compelling as Bryce Mitchell versus Dan Ige. We have Bryce Mitchell coming in as a, as a semi-heavy favorite. He's a minus 200 favorite. Danny Ige is a plus 170 dog. This is a real good fight. Uh, a lot of stuff has been coming out in the media about Bryce Mitchell. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know about it or you, you've seen about it. Stuff with his ex-girlfriend. <coughs> Excuse me. Stuff with his ex-girlfriend. Um, with the dog that they, someone released a video about him trying to get his dog back. And then she went to his house and like, you know, was trespassing on his property and basically just breaking stuff at his house, cutting down his trees. I guess his current wife or spouse or whoever was there and she was scared to be there a lot, just a lot of, a lot of stuff. And he, he's a guy that's always kind of been pretty transparent. He posts a lot on social media. Uh, so I wonder how that's going to impact him coming into this fight. He He's, he was undefeated, however, he did lose in the Ultimate Fighter. And for a guy that went on such a big run with a, just a lot of dominance, like Bryce Mitchell wasn't just beating dudes up, like he was dominating people. And he was dominant for just years, like crushing crushing dudes like Bobby Moffat, Matt Sales. He made Charles Rosa look like a, like a, a dude that had just walked into the gym. Um, the, the wins over Andre Feely. Andre Feely is good. Edson Barbosa is good. Those are all dudes that are great fighters. And then when he stepped up to Ilya Taporia, man, uh, Ilya was just better everywhere. Bryce Mitchell is typically a pretty good striker, and, and he lands things that you know someone else that's just a, a regular nuts and bolts striker might not land due to the threat of his grappling um outside of Ilya Taporia, he might be the second best grappler wrestler submission artist in this division Ilya was just he was just a guy that could really not he, he was just not impacted by the threat of the wrestling from Bryce Mitchell because he was the more powerful and better wrestler and on the feet Taporia was getting landed on like he typically does but the shots that he was giving Bryce Mitchell I mean it was a pretty bad beating quite frankly I'm, I'm sure you got what going back and watching tape study like it's shit I learned a lot about Ilya Taporia redoing this tape study more than Bryce Mitchell uh Ilya Taporia is very violent and he is a very punishing fighter and uh I think he could potentially give Volkanovsky a lot more problems than uh, people may realize. Because uh, in the pocket, he, he can be very dangerous. And he's got a lot of power. Uh, he, what he was landing on Bryce, I mean, club and sub, 
and, and the way that he was just able to shuck Bryce to the ground and throw him around, like no one's really ever been able to do that to Bryce Mitchell. Uh, and then he came out and kind of had some excuses after the loss said he had the flu, shit like that, whatever, you know, Hey, when you're on a streak like him and, and you've got to, conv- these people are fighters. They're not like me or you, um, you got to, sometimes you have to kind of convince yourself and, and maybe that's what he needs to do, whatever, but all that, plus all the stuff coming out in the media, that's pretty interesting. Uh, Dan Ige, he, he's a guy that we, you're not going to hear this type of shit about Dan Ige. He, he's a good dude. He's a another one of those guys that he on the best night he can he can have close fights with people like Josh Emmett or Korean Zombie, um, and on bad nights he can you know take pretty dominant losses to someone like Mofsar Avilov. But Dan Ige is a really good dude. He has a great left hook, great body punching. He hurt Nate Landwehr a ton in their fight. The knockout against Damon Jackson was absolutely brutal. He did lose three fights in a row. However, Chan Sung Jung, Josh Emmett in 21, like Josh Emmett was kicking ass in 21. Mavsar Evelov in 2022, that's Mavsar Evelov. Prior to that, I mean, like, if you look at Dan Ige's record, like, the dudes fought a ton of people. Julio Arce. Danny Henry, Mursad Bektik, when he was like, when Mursad Bektik was somebody back in 2020, uh, Edson Barbosa, he lost to Calvin, Calvin Cater. Um, wins knocked the knockout against Gavin Tucker in like 20 seconds after poor Gavin Tucker had been away. Fights Korean Zombie, fights Josh Emmett, fights Mazarevlov. Like the dude has fought a ton of people. He's definitely fought more talent and more talented people, I'd say, than Bryce Mitchell. Danny Gay's problem is he, he was always known to be a guy that takes the second round off in a fight. And I don't think he has enough volume for as durable as he is and as good of a power puncher as he can be in an accurate puncher. His left hand, like he's got a, he's another one of those dudes. That's like a sneaky big puncher in this division. Uh, His body punching really, really good. Check left hook. Great. And I could see him Bryce Mitchell will walk dudes down and will strike with dudes. I'm curious to see if he will be willing to do that or if he is just going to really try to chain the wrestling together. Bryce Mitchell has really good cardio, great chain wrestling, great grappling on top, um, smothering control. He will hunt submissions down. He also has the ability to just wet blanket you and just and really stall your, you know, take the wind out of your sails. Danny does have good grappling defense and, and him as an underdog, like I'm not going to bet this fight, but with everything that Bryce Mitchell has going on in his life, plus the abilities that Ige has, and Ige's kind of streaking right now, um, I could see Ige landing, you know, landing some big shots after defending takedowns. He's going to have to really hurt Bryce with something from the beginning to throw him off of his game. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think Bryce Mitchell's going to come back and make a statement. I think he's going to come back and show everybody, hey, I am still in this division. I deserve to be here. The UFC loves this dude. They gave him camo shorts, and he was like two or three fights into the UFC when he was literally a nobody. Um, going to go with Bryce Mitchell, but as an underdog, I do like Danny Gay in a fight like this. Moving on to the final fight on the card. This is actually a super, super good fight. We've got Rafael Fiziev, or he's not Brazilian, Rafael Fiziev versus Mateus Gamrot. We got Gamrot coming in as a 
slight underdog, plus 135 for him. Fiziev's minus 155 as the slight favorite. This is a really, really, really good fight. Uh, two, this is actually like a striker versus grappler uh, type of fight here. A lot of uh, a lot of powerful volume in the early parts of fights for Fiziev and Gamrot, just an extremely relentless grappling wrestling game. Moving on to the final fight of the card, we have the main event. Fiziev versus Gamrot, Rafael Fiziev versus Mateos Gamrot. We got Fiziev coming in at a minus 155 favorite. Gamrot coming back as the plus 135 underdog. Again, these odds are going to probably change through the week, and I pulled these on Sunday night. Um, this is a really good fight. We got this is actually a, just a standard wrestler versus grappler type uh, type fight here. Fiziev is just a high volume, punishing, really, really good combination striker. Blast kicks, super fast hands, great body punching. Gamrot, um, he is a dude that is just a very relentless grappler. He's a, it's interesting because both of these dudes are actually kind of small for the division. In my opinion, they could both probably go to 145, but. I'm always glad to see dudes stay stay up a weight class, especially when they've had as much success as they have had. Uh, Gamar is coming off of a, a split decision win that I I, I thought he lost to Jalen Turner, but either way, Jalen Turner is great, and Jalen Turner is a huge man for the division. Uh, and that loss to Benel Dariush, uh, Dariush fought really well, but the Dariush, I mean, it, it was Oliveira. Either way, that that loss is not aging very well based off what Dariush has done since then. The win against Armin Sarukian was another fight that he could have arguably lost. Uh, either way, those are, are those are all three really good opponents, and he ripped through everyone else prior to that. That 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 uh, body knee that he hurt Diego Ferreira with that caused that fight to end. The Kimura over Jeremy Stevens, the knockout against Holtzman back in 2020, he did have that close split decision loss to Guram Kutatalate. This is a guy that. He Gamrot's game needs to evolve a little bit, in my opinion, and he needs to do some. He needs to have more emphasis on punishing people, either with ground and pound, or, or really needs to start submission hunting. He is a. I mean, if you don't like grappling, the main event and the and the co-main event of this card are, are not going to be something that you're going to like because this fight will hit. This fight will hit the mat. Gamrot is such a high, just high pressure, and he just chains wrestling together so, so, so well, especially a dude from Poland. He was a multiple KSW uh, champion over there. KSW is a, is, a, is a pretty good organization. Definitely they're, they're the regional show, but, I mean, the number one sport in Poland is MMA. So, yeah, KSW is a, is a great organization to be a champion of, and he was two of them there. Fiziev is, is a dude, he was a kickboxing coach, um, over at Tiger Muay Thai. He had some issues with Tiger Muay Thai, not paying them, I believe. Uh, either way, he had that really close fight with Justin Gaethje where he had a ton of success, but he kind of gassed out that knockout against ha uh, against Rafael Dos Anjos, the Battle of the Rafaels. That was late in the fight after winning a couple rounds and then losing a couple, that knockout of the spinning wheel kick against Brad Riddell in the third round of that fight. That was awesome. The decision against Bobby Green... I thought Bobby Green won that fight. Either way, um, his knockout against Hanato Moicano, where he went to the body and then came up over the top and and 
club them and drop them. Uh, that was super dope. Like that's a GIF clip that's going to be around forever. In a fight like this, uh, Gamrod is a dude that can be hit. He can be timed in between his striking and his grappling. Is he good at stringing things together? Is he good? Of tr- is he good about transitioning from striking to grappling? Yes. Is Fiziev a sharp enough striker to make him pay in those moments? Yes. Fiziev did show some pretty good takedown defense, also against Rafa against Rafael Dos Anjos, RDA. I'm just going to call him because I can't keep saying Rafael and Rafael back-to-back. This fight I'm really torn on because Gamrot has incredible cardio, but what he showed against Benil Dariush is that he can be clubbed, he can be hurt, he can be dropped. He was hurt multiple times against Benil Dariush, and Benil Dariush is a sneaky big puncher. If... I'm just torn on who I think is going to really win this fight because I could see Gamrot having a lot of takedowns and a lot of success late in this fight, but he just doesn't have a very punishing game. And we just had a, we literally just had a judge score a 10, eight round for Alexa Grosso, by the way, um, they're going to be the Nevada state athletic commission is going to be having a meeting this Wednesday uh, regarding that 10, eight. And they're going to teach everybody again, how to score MMA and score 10, eight rounds. And speaking of Jalen Turner, I saw him tweet just the other day. Was it yesterday? I saw him tweet and he was like, we need to know the rules of MMA. And it's like, man, these fighters don't even know the difference between rules and scoring. Um, It was just like, (sighs) MMA is such a good sport and it's so advanced. Having these like weird scoring and rules and all these weird blunders, it just should not be happening in 2023. Either way, um, I think Rafael Faziev is a guy that can potentially be taken down. But in the pocket, he's so venomous. His kicks are so fast. His hands are so fast. I could see him doing what he did to Moicano to Gamrot, hurting Gamrot multiple times. Gamrot's so tough. I don't know if he'll knock him out or not, but you could hurt. If, if he hurts Gamrot three times in three different rounds, He's going to win because he might he's going to hurt Gamrot and then Gamrot's going to probably get a takedown and get some control. But the damage is going to outweigh the control, I think. Um, if you are betting Rafael Fiziev to Rafael Fiziev, God, if you're betting Rafael Fiziev to win this fight, you're just going to assume that he lands damaging shots. And that's what I think is going to happen here. Uh, could see him hurting Gamrot early and possibly finishing him early or if this fight goes to decision, Fiziev probably hurt him once in the first round, drop them again in the second round, and then maybe drop them again in the fourth or fifth after Gamrot has a good round of successful grappling. If Fiziev gets tired, though, and Gamrot, Gamrot does have good submissions, he does have a good Kimura, if he, if he does get Fiziev tired, I could totally see, I could totally see him getting a late submission in this fight, but... 2023 damage wins fights. Fiziev is a much more of a punishing fighter. I don't think Gamrod is a very punishing fighter. And I think that is what is going to come through for Fiziev in the end. Um, that's the show, guys. We got a pretty good card coming up next week. And this card's pretty good, too. Again, I kind of went over some of the fights in the beginning, but uh, Mizuki Inoue is back after a long time. Uh, she's fighting Hannah Goldie. So there's some there's some okay fights to look forward to, guys. That's the show. 
check the kick suredog.com find me here on these socials dev goes fishing everywhere give me a shout hope you guys have a great rest of your day and enjoy the fights